0: Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Tim Arroyo. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. You know, I'm just going to speak from the heart this morning. <laughs> um, you know, I, f- I feel something similar to what I felt um, this past Thursday. Uh, at our KLSM. Shout out ministry school students, where you at, where you at, where you at? And um, (laughs) how do I say it? I felt a little fed up. And the fed upness I felt was I was fed up with the same old, same old. And I was feeling fed up with what felt like routines that weren't fruitful. With repeated parts of our lives that we did over and over and over and over and over and over again that were actually producing nothing for us or for the kingdom. And along with that, I felt the fire of God in a moment to come and consume a people into fruitfulness. Okay, I'll bring my notes back. I'll bring them back. I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back. It's all together. I want to read something. This is from the book that we were studying that we didn't actually end up studying this past Thursday. This is a book called Rooted by Banning Leapshire. It says, deep inside every follower of Jesus is a desire to have a visible, lasting impact in the world. This desire was born in us when we believed the gospel. And this desire for lasting impact is not our idea. It's God's idea. In John 15, he says, You prove you are my disciples in that you bear much fruit. You being fruitful for the kingdom of God is literally written into the fabric of your DNA. From the beginning of time, it was God's intention that you, you, all of you, would accomplish extraordinary things with your time here on the earth. From the start, it was actually his design. You see in Genesis, in the garden, the garden of Eden. Heard of it? Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, I know about that place. The garden of Eden. Eden translated often means like delight or pleasure, delicacy. And if you put all these words together, Eden, the garden of Eden is the garden of paradise. It's the garden where everything is as it should be. It's basically Maine, the way life should be. (laughs) Ho, Nothing out of order, nothing out of place. Everything exactly how God wanted. Exactly the way that God wanted his interaction and his context with men to be. And we know from the text that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It was a garden of intimacy with the literally the person of the Father, the person of God and the person of man, Adam and Eve, walking together. And I think for so many of us, this is like the end of the story of what made Eden paradise. Is that, oh, we had like this un, you know, no veil. We were just with God all the time. And that's what made it paradise. But verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, after he'd already made everything, after he'd already made man, and after he'd already established that place of intimacy with Adam, says, then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. God knew that if man didn't have a job to do on the earth, that it wouldn't be paradise. Not in the sense of needing a job to get money and not be idle, but it became paradise that the moment that partnered with your intimacy with God, man was given a crucial and essential role to be at the very center of what God is doing in the earth. Nothing has changed since then. Friends, we are the house that pursues Psalms 27. One thing have we ask, that's what we seek. Intimacy with God our Father, the Holy Spirit. Like daily intimacy with Jesus Christ is like what we live and long for, right? Like this is who we are. We seek his presence. We're worshipers. We want to better as one day in the house of God than a thousand elsewhere. Right? That's who we are. We're so longing. Like literally paradise sounds like what Adam was experiencing with God. It's so longing for that. But God in his wisdom knows that on the earth right now today, being a people, that all we do is just like sit and seek to minister to the Lord is in Eden. It's not paradise. What paradise is. In your life today is your burning intimacy, your burning passion to be close with Jesus marries your mission to be at the center of what he's doing in the earth. Now we're talking about paradise. I need to say again, this isn't about protecting you from idleness. This is about the opportunity, and it's not just busy work. We're talking about being at the very center of what God is doing and trying to accomplish in the earth. Everybody wants to be on the crest of the wave, right? Whether it's culture or, you know, the, the new idea, the new invention, the new technology. There's such a longing to innate in, in, in human nature to be on the crest of whatever we value of whatever's important to us, that we're on the front lines of it. You see, if we start, it's like what I was saying over M, if we start to burn for him, and if we're actually transformed as a new creation, like the scripture says, that means it, it's very inception as a new creation that God put longing inside of you to go to work for him. But the problem is for so many of us, that longing, that seed that God placed inside of us is just like stuffed way down. And while we may be busy, everybody's busy, everybody's busy. How many of us are busy the way Adam was busy? Busy because God spoke and I'm responding to his commandment and I'm shaping my life around what he's doing because I love him. Now, I'm not negating what we do week in and week out, the responsibilities. You see, it's not necessarily, for some of us it is, but it's not necessarily what you do, it's why you do what you do. You may not need to leave your job as a mechanic or as an engineer or as a nurse. But is it paradise? Is there a sense that in what I do, I am responding to what has been spoken over me from God? Is this okay? Am I too intense? You can tell me to calm down. If I need to calm down, I'll calm down. Okay. God desires so much that we would be fruitful. But the context of what your fruitfulness looks like, all of you, is whatever it is that God is speaking over you. In so many ways, the call to build the kingdom of God on the earth is just like, yep, it's in the word. We're all healing the sick. We're all raising the dead. We're all casting out devils. We're all building the kingdom, right? There's a lot of fruitfulness that isn't individually tailored to you. It's all of us, right? And I don't need another word from anybody to do that stuff. I have it. But in the midst of that, the counterbalance to that, is that God has custom-fitted, tailored fruitfulness for you. And it's an assignment that actually perfectly coincides with the uniqueness of how he made you. It's like perfect hand meets perfect glove. Man, that's going to land on you in a great way in this season. Woo, Beth. I just, I just keep wanting to say it's like this like fancy Gucci, like it's perfect. And it's fancy. And it's valuable. Woo. It lasts the test of time. See, each one of you, God has spoken unique and individual purpose and destiny that his ambition is that you would fulfill it in your life. And no one else can do it. It only fits you. And it would be cruel of God to ask you to do something you weren't able to do. You think he didn't know who you were when he asked you? You don't think he had an idea of what the circumstances of your life might cause you to become when he asked you? Like he didn't know who Gideon was. When he encountered, like he didn't know who Isaiah was or David was. You didn't think he knew who Saul would become and he called him all the same? He's sovereign over all. He called you to something uniquely you. Try all you want, you can't run away from it. And I think that's the thing I'm so. Feeling the fire of God and the desperation. Like all of creation groans and waits for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed in the earth. Like creation is waiting for you to step into your identity that leads you to step into your unique purpose in the earth. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. And there's certain battles that we have to fight if we're actually going to become a fruitful people. Here's one of the battles we have to fight. I'm just blazing through this because it's already 1130. You're called to be fruitful, right? Look at your neighbor and say, right. And your fruitfulness... The context is defined by God's word over you. Look at your neighbor and say that's true as well. So the plan of the enemy is to sow unbelief into what God has spoken over you. If he can get after your belief, your faith, then he'll then the open the doors of compromise will begin to open over your life. I don't care how dramatic your encounter with God is. We want to talk about Adam and Eve and how dramatic. Their whole life was an encounter with God, validating the the call of their, like literally God in bodily form gave them their identity, gave them their mission. (laughs) And all it took was one question. Did God really say? And then Compromise. You want the two people who did it right? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Angel appears to her, tells her all the incredible things that are about to happen that she is going to, by the Spirit of God, be overtaken, and that she is going to carry the Son of God. What does she say? Be it unto me according to your word. And you don't think over the next nine months she had to wrestle? Like, is this really God inside me? Like there wasn't an actual wrestling with like belief over what she was experiencing. Even though she was pregnant without knowing a man, there would still be that question of like, and we don't know a lot about science yet. So like, I don't know. You know, that was the kind of a joke. (laughs) If Adam can question, did God really say in Eden, then surely Mary could question an encounter with an angel. Listen, so much of Israel's history is encountering God and then just losing whatever it was that they got from that encounter and walking in compromise. There's got to actually be something that carries us from hearing, you know, this conference is a good example of so many of us that had moments that were affirming of what God is doing in our lives, but that encounter in and of itself isn't actually enough to carry you to the fulfillment of that promise. You have to fight to maintain, actually to to keep out unbelief. You see, later on, Mary is about, is, is giving birth, is in Bethlehem. And these shepherds encounter angels and, you know, joy to the world. It's this incredible moment. And they're just like, wow. And then they come and find Mary and they tell Mary all the things that they saw in the heavenlies. The glory of God that they saw. It's so interesting because like that vision had nothing to do with those shepherds and everything to do with Mary. Those shepherds had no responsibility to see that come forth. But Mary had all the responsibility. And you know what it says? After they told him, all they have is wonder and excitement like, dang. But they share that with Mary, and it reaffirms what she originally heard from that first angel. And it says, and Mary treasured and pondered these things in her heart. You know what that word treasured means? Protected. She used the word from the shepherds, the encounter of the shepherds, to protect her belief in what God had spoken, to protect her. Her mind from unbelief. It was crucial that as Mary lived her life, she was convinced that she was the mother of the son of God. Imagine if she stopped believing that. The wedding at Cana would have gone very differently. There would have been no reason for her to call her son Jesus when they were out of wine at the wedding. Imagine for a moment if unbelief, if the enemy spoke to Mary, found place in Mary's heart, like it did with Adam. Say, so did God really say? Is this really true? Maybe he's just a prophet. Maybe he's just, maybe God's just restoring the prophet. This isn't the Messiah. Did God really say? Another person that did it was Abraham. Has an encounter with God, sees the stars in the sky. God says, this will be your descendants. He's got no kids. And he's super old. No offense. He was older than probably all y'all. And he has this encounter with God. Receives this promise from God. And what does it say? And Abraham believed God. Just like Mary, he established belief. But then that belief gets tested. Is what do I do next? And then God says, okay, I want you to get these animals arranged in a specific way as a sacrifice for me. And he does it. Now, mind you, there is no biblical context for fire from heaven coming to consume a sacrifice at this point. It's never been seen. So he creates this sacrifice And these animals are laid out, and he's just there. Like, okay, I've done this now. And he doesn't actually know what he's waiting for. And these vultures come, and they try to take the sacrifice. And he just kung-fus those fools. Get off my sacrifice. Get off my sacrifice. This is for the Lord. You will get a promise from God. And when you ask God what's next, the Lord will start leading you into sacrifice that you don't necessarily know where it's taking you. And the enemy's going to try to come in and he's not just going to try to take your hope. What he's going to try to take from you is the willingness to uphold sacrifice for what he promised. I'm willing to cost, to give up cost, to have sacrifice unto what I believe he told me. I'm going to protect my sacrifice. I'm going to fight these birds for my sacrifice. <laughs> it's just like that for today. Imagine, if, again, if Abraham lost belief. If it got late and he was tired and he was just here with an unseeable, unknowable God and a bunch of dead animals on the ground, this is just dead meat to them, it's dead meat to me. But belief calls them to preserve sacrifice and then that night it gets consumed with fire, right? Belief in what God has spoken over you Will keep you willing to maintain sacrifice. Because make no mistake about it. It's going to cost you. Life with God is costly. Because in our growing up, in our just growing up in a broken world, we take on things like Al was sharing during communion. There's stuff that we take on in our hearts that actually needs to go. And over time, just like David, the further he went along in his pursuit of God, and his pursuit of worship, he kept on being put in position that caused him to give more and more and more away in sacrifice unto being faithful to what God had promised him. And some of you are maybe unfamiliar with what it looks like to live a life of sacrifice before the Lord because you're unfamiliar with belief. You're unfamiliar with faith. Unbelief chokes radical faith. When we're fixing to do something great or dramatic or lean in in significant ways to what we feel called to do, unbelief is a giant stop sign. Unbelief is the seed the enemy sows to create compromise. But belief attracts God's power. Belief attracts God's provision. And ultimately, belief... Attracts God's promise. You know how I know that? I could have just not preached at all and just read this scripture. Hebrews 11. Verse 32. And What more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Of however you pronounce that name. Of David and Samuel and the prophets. Listen to this. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, and obtained promises. Here's the goal. The goal is 1 Timothy 4. We're going to leave with this. Keys, Gabby, in Jesus' name. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. It's not necessarily, this vehicle here isn't necessarily the important parts. The gift of prophecy is the gift of revealing the divine will of God in a moment. Revealing his preferred future. So whether or not you had it from elders or not, it's whatever way that this gift, the word of God, the seed of God, the destiny and promise of God. Whatever way that got into you. Says meditate on these things. And here's the key. Give yourself entirely. To them, that your progress may be evident to all. Why don't you stand? Is this okay?